I chose Tulane's Executive MBA program as a means to gain skills in business law, management, finance, and value creation. Almost immediately after graduation, I was promoted to a chief judge role. Now, I am Chief Judge Tamia Gordon. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. There was a time in New Orleans that if you told someone you were moving into your new office, it was probably in Houston or Atlanta. In the 1990s, whole office buildings in New Orleans were empty. Leasing companies were in a kind of reverse bidding war, underselling each other to attract tenants. A significant number of storefronts downtown and on Magazine Street were boarded up. And that was before Hurricane Katrina brought us to our knees. Those darker days are now dim memories. Today, business in New Orleans is booming. Companies are moving here. Businesses that are already here are growing. And even in a very tough nationwide retail environment, compared to other cities, there are not a lot of storefronts for lease here. Through this boom and bust cycle, corporate realty has remained one of the preeminent commercial real estate companies in the city. Their clients include Tulane University, Capital One Bank, DXC Technology, and the sale of the Place St. Charles building with its one million square feet of office space. The president of Corporate Realty is Mike Siegel. Mike, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay, so you're moving into your new office in New Orleans. You've negotiated a lease for the space. You've got a thousand or ten thousand square feet. You've got ten or maybe a thousand employees. Now you need to work out a floor plan for your new office. You need furniture. You need to get services like phones and internet hooked up and networked throughout the new space. You need to clean up after the previous tenants. And you need to juggle between the new space and your current place while you're keeping your daily business running. How do you pull this off? Well, one thing you could do is call Bart's Office Incorporated. Moving you into a new office is exactly what they do. Some of the clients Bart has worked with recently to move them into their new space include the Four Seasons Hotel and the new International Airport. Bart's is a woman-owned and operated business. The company's CEO is Ashley Thibodeau. Ashley, welcomed out to lunch. Hi, thank you for having me. Excited. Mike, Corporate Realty is a real estate company. You don't develop property or own buildings. You, you sell and lease commercial real estate on behalf of sellers, buyers, and owners. Most of us are familiar with residential real estate agents. We know we pay them a commission when they sell our house, and we pay them a fee when they rent an apartment. But because everyone needs a place to live, a residential real estate agent can list and sell enough houses to become very wealthy. But far fewer of us need commercial space, so there are fewer opportunities for commercial real estate agents to make a commission. And commercial realty is more specialized and demanding than residential. So what attracts a person to commercial real estate over residential? Can you become a wealthy star commercial agent the way there are wealthy star residential agents? 
Would I see your picture on a building? I hope so. No, (laughs) no, I don't. I hope. I hope not. (laughs) Not necessarily. No, there's a big difference. I mean, you know, and it's more anecdotal than than factual. But I mean, I think residential tends to be a little bit more emotional. Uh, Commercial tends to be a little bit more business oriented. Um, I think the commissions, if you look at the, the commission percentages, they're probably pretty similar. But when you look at the dollar volume of commercial deals, uh, they can be very low, but they can also be very high. So, I mean, I, I think you can make uh, just as much money in commercial, get just as much, uh, have just as much success in commercial. It's just at a different level and different uh, level of expertise. And you've made a point of not focusing on one particular industry the way some people do. Why? Well, I think New Orleans, and whether it's real estate or whatever, you have to be a little bit of a generalist. You know, we're, we're, a rel- we're still, for all of our success, a relatively small town. So if you're in, in Chicago, you can represent tenants only, you can represent law firms only, and you can do it in one part of town and there's enough business. Here, you've got to be a little bit of a generalist. You can't say you're tenant rep only or landlord only or work in one part of town because we're just not a big enough community. So you have to be a little bit of a generalist and work on multiple kinds of property. But I still describe myself, you know, even though I'm president of the company, I've been doing this way too long, I'm still an office leasing specialist. So that's my, my core expertise besides running the company, working on investment deals, retail deals, consulting with the convention center and whatever. But you've got to be a little bit broader than that in New Orleans. And I think it's true not just in real estate. You are the handsome face of this firm. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what people say. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Ashley, I was thinking maybe you could explain to us how your company works by way of a case study. We could uh, take a look at how you worked with one of your clients, say, MSY, the New Orleans airport. How did that go? Are you sitting at your desk one day and the phone rings and it's someone saying, hey, we're going to need a few desks and a couple of counters, oh, and probably an internet hookup. We're moving into a new airport. <laughs> Can you walk us through how Bart's office worked to move the old airport to the new airport? So we were involved uh, very early on with the operations of the airport. So when they started the construction of the new airport, we were brought in to do all of the concourse seatings, um, the concessions, uh, different office space. We outfitted all of those with furniture from an installation perspective. Um, You know, from there, that kind of opened the door for us to have the exposure to do the relocation for MSY. It was, you know, a bid package that went out to about, I think there were 10 other bidders in the room. Um, They were looking for things like general performance um, capabilities, uh, you know, and then exposure to be able to do, you know, perform the feats. I mean, it was leading up to the move. We had 40 people on site for seven days where we moved non-essential, non-critical path items. Um, So then leading up to the move, we had an overnight move of 70 people moving from, we started at 6 p.m. and worked till 4 a.m. And we moved everything that was critical path from the old airport to the new airport. So taking things that were essential for flights, for, you know, people to check in, for, you know, just their general operations had to stay live at the old airport until we moved, um, you know, to the new airport. So, you know, when I say we drove across the runway, we literally drove trucks from the old airport to the new airport across the runway, escorted, of course. Um, but, you know, all the while they shut down the old airport. So flight, the last flight left from the old airport at around maybe 6, you know, 6 p.m. And that's when we started operations. And then 
they picked up at the new airport. So starting at 8 p.m., flights were coming into the new airport. So it wasn't like they just shut everything down. They still had to start receiving flights at the new airport while we were operationally moving the airport. So um, it was a tandem effort. We worked with a lot of government agencies. We worked with, um, um, we were subcontracted through a firm that actually moves airports all over the world. That's what I was going to say. This has got to be your first airport. Yes, it was definitely our first airport. I think it was anyone in New Orleans' first airport. And um, was, as- it, was it scary? Um, you know, companies like to push the envelope a little bit, but this was really pushing it. So I would say um, going into it, it was a little bit daunting. You know, you think, how is this even possibly going to happen? You're talking an overnight move. You're talking about, you know, 40 guys, you know, every day, you know, like five to seven trucks, you know, just operationally moving things from each air, from each airline. And um, you kind of try to wrap your brain around that for a second and think, you know, just how are we going to really accomplish this? Um, but like I said, we, we worked with a, for, a firm that was, um, does this all over the world. We had tons of pre-planning meetings. Um, you know, we met with them. We talked logistics. We talked, you know, what was feasible, you know, what could actually happen, you know, what our capacity was, what, you know, the airport's capacity was. You know, MSY was completely engaged. You know, the local government agencies were completely engaged. Um, it went off. I mean, when I say to the T, like execution was perfect, um, it pretty much couldn't have gone any better. You know, thanks for bringing in those really cool restaurants. Yeah, really, no, a, really appreciate. It. That's funny. You're talking about the kind of that two-hour window, but when did the whole process start that you were brought in on? So we were, um, I think it was six weeks in advance. And we started doing those those kind of non-essential, non-critical path items. So we would basically, you know, we'd report to the airport. And, of course, it's busy, you know. So there's people everywhere. You know, we have our pre-meets with our crews. And we're saying, like, guys, you know, this is operational. You have to understand. People are coming to the airport. They're not paying attention to you. So you have to be thinking for everyone here because people are stressed. They're worried about missing a flight. You know, they're trying to get somewhere in a hurry. They're on their phones. You know, and you're moving furniture, you know. And so you just have to be very mindful of that, you know. You know, we um, early on, I told the guys, I was like, we're going to be part of history. You know, this has this is unprecedented. This has never happened before and will probably never happen again, you know, in our children's and grandchildren's lifetime. Yeah, you're going to be saying, you know, mom did this. Grandma put that airfare together. We are a part of history right now in the making. We are literally making history as we speak. You know, and that can go down as infamous as we wanted to (laughs) or as, you know, as just spectacular as we wanted to. As personal mentioned you did a great job that's uh and mike i'd be remiss if i didn't i think this is what people are asking me to ask is what about like the we works of the world how does uh are you involved in any of that and not necessarily as a company but the concept of it what do you think well i think you know uh, the idea of co-working space is here to stay i mean i think people want more collaborative space i think that there's already a handful of of operations in new orleans that are successful I think WeWork is successful. They just had a bit too much hubris, in my opinion, um, you know, and it, it's a good cautionary tale. No matter how successful you are, you got to kind of watch watch all of the aspects of your business. But you know, co-working. There's some great operations here. I don't know if you've been, if you if anybody has seen uh, the shop. Uh, at the CAC, they took the third and fourth floors of the CAC. Is that the spectacular thing? Is that uh, uh, Matt Schwartz's? Yeah, Matt Schwartz and Chris Papa Michael did it, and it's in the Contemporary Art Center building, and it's two floors 
uh, very we workish, except a better version, I think. But a better of, balance sheet. A bit, As, and it, I mean, they're completely filled, and they're looking at other opportunities. So I think it's here to stay. I, if I had a smaller shop and had one or two people, I think being in a co-working space is cool. I mean, you're you're there with a lot of other people all the time. You have shared facilities. It's fun. It's interesting. Yep. Yeah, it's like me. <laughs> hey now what are you thinking going forward let's say for the next decade what are some of the got the airport done thanks to ashley yeah. and uh they but what about there's some what are the other well, big projects that you're looking down at well saying, i think wow. there's a handful of of you know the, the, it's an overused word but transformative projects taking place in new orleans right now and i mean i don't say these because we're involved with all of them but uh, the ones that i know about the redevelopment of the 47 acres or the development of the 47 acres by the convention center that's a whole neighborhood i mean when does any city get 47 acres basically on the riverfront abutting their convention center so i mean that's going to get redeveloped in the next three or four or five years and part of that is that new hotel is that there's it? a hotel that is kind of carved out that's a 1200 room hotel but there's another 39 acres that they have developers competing for and it's a, an exceptionally strong good list of of developers so that's going to be transformative i think the the charity hospital redevelopment that has been sitting empty since katrina they also went through a competitive process they've selected a developer the developers is starting to execute on their plans that's a million square feet and probably 400 million dollars and it's right in you know the middle of of it's kind of the, the hole in the middle of the donut everything's going on around it and it's been a bombed out area for frankly since since katrina so okay. i think that changes i think that's transformative they're getting ready to spend 450 million dollars redoing the superdome oh, yeah. and so that whole superdome champion square loyola quarter i think is going to change i mean that's three you know those, those three projects are a billion and a half dollars but you know between them and they're all interesting, you know, mixed use. Makes cool you want to stick around and see how this turns out, right? It, it does. I want to be in the middle of all of it. I want to be in the room where it happens. Just like <laughs> That's my homage to Hamilton. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Mike Siegel from commercial real estate company Corporate Realty and Ashley Thibodeau from Bart's Office. They're commercial office movers. We'll be right back after this very brief break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Mike Siegel from commercial real estate company Corporate Realty and Ashley Thibodeau from Bart's Office. They're commercial office movers. A Ashley, he was talking about projects, and I think some of your bigger projects are like this, where you have to do an RFP or a request for proposal. Uh, does being a, a woman-owned firm help in that area? Yes, it does. Um, we're also... By the way, it's a pretty macho business you're in, isn't it? Yeah. yeah I was going to say, I picture <laughs> big little... guys with those... Those belts on. I think we're Home the Depot. only women in the city um, that currently, you know, own and operate um, a commercial relocation company. So it's um, it's interesting. I enjoy it. I like the dynamic because um, I bring a different element to the table. So it usually is is kind of jarring to people at first, and then they're kind of like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. As far as the RFP process and being a WBE, a certified woman-owned business, um, that does help in, in a lot of cases. Probably the more impactful certification that we do have is um, DBE. So we are a certified DBE federally and locally. Um, that was impactful when we were very useful. Uh, Disadvantaged business okay. enterprise. 
Um, so that was a big factor in the airport relocation. Um, all of the stuff leading up to like the concessions, they wanted DBE firms because they want to promote DBE. The city was looking to promote DBE firms just to cultivate, you know, those firms and try to grow them and, you know, try to help develop them. Um, so we were part of that. And then, you know, Four Seasons, again, they have, you know, some DBE requirements tied to, um, you know, certain things uh, for the developer and for the ownership that are very lucrative. So they want to, you know, and again, you know, the feel good side of it is they're helping these smaller businesses kind of really grow and cultivate their businesses. So I was thinking of uh, a question we were getting ready for this show is when a lot of times you'll be uh, moving into a, an empty space, but sometimes you're moving into a space that already has furniture that I assume the existing company maybe doesn't want. Mm-hmm. What happens there? So we actually have a very um, good decommission process. Uh, we partner like with ships. You decommission the furniture. Oh, that's what I love. That's yes. a great term. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, yes, we decommission the furniture. Um, we basically go through. Uh, for a lot of our corporate clients, they like to do the green initiatives process, which is you know zero to a landfill. So we assist them with that process. We have a network of around 4,000 nonprofits that we can reach out to at the click of an email to say, hey, we've got this, you know, all of this product. Do you have a need? And then we manage that process of getting those, you know, useful items to those nonprofits, those small businesses. So who would those nonprofits schools? be? Places of, like um, a thrift shop, like a Salvation Army? Or no, a- um, directly with, you know, just any nonprofit working in the city. Um, I can't think of yeah. anything right off the top of my head. So would they be sellers of that furniture? or would No, they, okay, they would they actually would using utilize it. the furniture themselves. We work with a ton of schools um, and basically schools. We dropped off, we did a donation to a school um, that works with special needs children and we just dropped off to them yesterday and I mean they called us and they were just like this is amazing you know the stuff that these schools take and really truly appreciate is just totally overwhelming because you look at it and these are things that we go as part of our decommission process we do um, what we call like a recycling effort so we put out these huge um, bins and we have donation we have you know disposal and then we have um, reuse so the donation items are anything that has any kind of useful life left in it you know paper post-its pens highlighters whatever Uh, binders and we take those boxes and just I mean drop the entire box off to a school and they absolutely love it you know because there's tons of stuff in there that they can use that they now don't have to purchase or don't even have the means to purchase so it's an added layer to our decommission process that we that we offer directly um, in assistance in accordance with our you know corporate clientele that are also facilitating this process because they understand that it's not going to be as inexpensive if they were to just say get it out of here and just you know take it you know to disposal but you know my pitch to them is hey it is kind of an offsetting cost because if I have to throw this stuff away it doesn't end when I put it on my truck because then I've got disposal cost but well, you've got yeah, the, the companies are probably glad to do it and make them feel good about getting rid of yes stuff that and has a lot still has some utility to it it does and if you're going to try to resell it, from my experience, it's worth pennies or nickels on the dollar, exactly. so it's not worth it. So it's it either goes in the trash, it. 
but if you can get you know recycled, repurposed, repurposed yeah. that's just like all the office buildings in New Orleans get repurposed. Yeah, you know, right. exactly. That's right. that's a good I mean, that's what life. You know, that's what we need to be doing more of, and not throwing everything in the yeah. I mean, it's, in the, it's really a win-win-win. You know, it's a win for our clients. It's a win for the people that we're you know donating the items to, and it's a win for us because you know we're not throwing this stuff in a landfill. We're doing, we're being very responsible with these items. You know, and then if I feel good, you know. I know my warehouse manager stresses because when we do decommissions, you know, some of that balance of that stuff's going to hit our warehouse. And so I'm saying, no, we can't throw anything away, you know, and he's like, well, this place is getting pretty full, you know. Well, what a great sustainability issue. I mean, Mike, do, do people talk to you more about green issues when they're looking at, it, at some space? Yes. You know, I would not say it's the top thing on, on most companies' list, but the bigger the company, the more the national companies, international companies, it's absolutely something they think about. And the local companies that are the bigger companies, the two lanes of the world, it is, it is part and parcel of who they are now. And they don't make moves. And when they look at designing buildings or moving into office space, they want it to be LEED certified. They want their space to be LEED certified. So it, it, it's a much bigger deal, and it should be. You know, yeah. So I think it's just another thing that you have to think about when you, you know, again, difference between commercial and residential, back to your original question, you know, there's a lot more to it than just where am I going to live? It is, there's a lot of bells and whistles and nuances that you Something think about. Something you didn't talk about 39 years ago when you started. We just, we, didn't, we would, we, if it was a green building, that meant it was the green in color. <laughs> you know, that probably is about what it meant. By the way, you two guys should know each other, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, and then... The way it works the, here is because we have a kind of a limited revenue stream is that when you do business together, we get 1%. Okay. So it's, uh, I just wanted to run that by, get it right out I'm there. Glad, 1%, that's not bad. <laughs> we, I wouldn't work for 1%. <laughs> we get a lot more than that. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Mike Siegel, president of commercial real estate company Corporate Realty and Ashley Thibodeau, CEO of the woman-owned and operated commercial office moving company, Bart's Office. Uh, Mike and Ashley, this is the part of the show we call your brother-in-law. You're sitting at your desk answering email when your phone rings and it's your brother-in-law. He normally only calls when he needs to borrow your chainsaw, but this time it's different. This time he has a business idea for you. I'll start with you, Ashley. Your brother-in-law says you have so many organizational skills, you could use them to do other things that would pay vastly more money than moving offices. For example, producing movies. It's exactly the same thing as you're doing every day, except for it's more fun and more lucrative. Your brother-in-law says there's lots of film production in Louisiana, and he's prepared to quit his job and head up Bart's Entertainment. What do you tell him? Is your brother-in-law onto a good idea for diversification? I think in that um, in that capacity, I would have to say, you know, you're really undervaluing the glamorous aspect of commercial relocation. That's what I, good point, good you point. Know, you've <laughs> totally just undermined it, and I really have to, you know, kind of bring you into the fold here right, and really yeah, show no. you, you know. No, because there's relocation stars, they have, they have paparazzi too, just like I mean, movie it is, stars. you know, we're just redefining how <laughs> how that looks you know it's not the big burly man anymore it's no like, you know I, you're a good example right There's, i know uh, that is uh... we do have female you know installers female movers um one of our you know i mean she is related to me but one of our best you know that i would pit against anyone you know doing this uh, is my sister alexi and she gets in and runs all of our big high profile projects and i mean she like i said i would put her against anyone in this industry to sh- say i'd like to see you run it better 
you know, so kind of a moving Olympics. I like the whole picture <laughs> right? of that. I know we should yeah. we should have that. That'd we be great. Like Carrying the Herman Miller chair will be the, uh, <laughs> the trophy. We'll get that. The Heisman would be you know some sort of like Knoll product. Or I like how you came about this too. Instead of um, degrading the movie industry, you pumped up the commercial moving industry. That's so great. That's going to work out. Now, Mike, your brother-in-law has a great idea for corporate realty, content marketing. Everybody you rent or sell has a business story, whether it's uh, great news that they're expanding or not so great news that they're downsizing or really anything in between. Your brother-in-law says that what you should do is take the most interesting clients, sit down with them in their new space with a couple of microphones and a digital recorder and make a podcast. It would be kind of like a commercial real estate version of Out to Lunch. And your brother-in-law doubts that we here at INO Broadcasting uh, would sue you. So <laughs> what do you tell your brother-in-law? Is a content marketing podcast a good idea? Uh, first, I would give him your phone number. I'd say, please call Peter Rusciutti. That's been done. He's good at it. And that's not what we're good at. I'm just going to stick to what I'm good at. And But thanks for the idea. And let's go get a drink or dinner or lunch sometime. Okay, and, right. and then I would move on pretty quickly. A lot of my ideas kind of go not, like that. But, it, kinda... but, you know, it'd be interesting to be a, kind of a great ad for you in that, um, you know, to talk to people about, you know, how they made their decisions and all that. I'm sure other people in commercial real estate would like to. Well, they, look, we do, we used, we used to do a lot of testimonials and, you know, you get to the end of a deal and you kind of want to do a, uh, what happened, why did it happen, why did we get chosen? But, you know, honestly, we're busy doing what we do every day and don't have very much time to market ourselves, so I don't do very much of that anymore. You do but have... it's a good story. It's a, it's, a, it's a good idea, Peter. Okay, it's just a matter of time. I mean, was that a pitch? To yeah, me? It was. It was. Five years yeah, from now, good, you're going to be on the idea. show I'm going, gonna be, I'm this go. changed our whole business. Right. We, we are no longer selling real estate. And you're going to be you're gonna be doing it for <laughs> us, I hope. I like how you did his accent. But, <laughs> yeah, no, that wasn't Mike. Wait, do well, I, Mike is from Alabama, so. Do you have so. accent? No, no, no. There's a... <laughs> If I had a couple of drinks, I would. All right, and that's why they're 25 cents <laughs> here, these yeah. martinis. They, uh, they, uh, but, you know, I've only get, been here 40 years. So. <laughs> to get you, back you should have heard it 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> to get back to where you were going, though, you actually have something that is kind of a non sequitur, right? Kind of a, yes. is it a magazine? No, we do uh, uh, a monthly mailer all about food. Which is a natural. That's a natural with real estate. Now, you know, we... we <laughs> For people so that this eat goes buildings. back to, you know, what you got to do what you're good at or, or work on what you, you're good at. So we used to do a newsletter. We were terrible at it. I mean, you know, you got to do it every month. you got to decide what to write. And we did it, and then we'd miss a few months. So we finally said, you know, what we can do at least each month is send something to all of our clients on all the transactions we did for the previous month. But we said, nobody really likes to read about that. So we want to wrap it around food. We're friends with... Luckily, the people at Commander's Palace went to them 21 years ago and said, look, every month we're going to send out our deal announcements, but can we get a recipe from Commander's Palace? That's sneaky. That's and good. so we went to tea, and, and she said, absolutely, and we worked with them, and we started out the first year. We'd send out a monthly mailer, and it would be a recipe from Commander's inside of a glassine envelope with all of our transactions for the previous month. So people like reading about food in New Orleans, at least. I do. And so now for the last 21 years, we've done a different restaurant or a different chef or a different theme, where it's, whether it's French Quarter restaurants or Magazine Street restaurants or restaurants in Birmingham or chef's favorite gumbo recipes or oh, anything. So it's been fun. So we are, you know, I tell everybody. You know everybody, that's hotter than my idea, I, right? right? It, a, it, <laughs> I, I tell everybody that, um, you know, real estate is our business and food is our passion. 
So this is perfect to be sitting yeah. here. We just got served <laughs> some delicious looking piece of fish and well, nothing enjoy. I'd rather be doing. And actually, I always act like to ask this question. It's a family business. Your dad started the business and um, you were originally um, kind of furniture re repair, was it? Yes. So um, in the 1978 uh, year, uh, my they father just invented furniture. I remember. Well, <laughs> they, right, yeah. exactly. So my father was actually working for the only furniture dealer in town, which is Dameron Pearson, at the time, and he was installing furniture. So after a few years, he realized that there was a real calling or a real need from these clients that needed furniture repaired. So basically, with his company's Dameron Pearson's blessing and you know customer list. He went out and opened up his own business. Um, one of our first customers that we opened our doors with was Entergy. Um, we are still a customer. We're still, you know, they're still our customer, you know, 40 plus years later. Um, and we have slowly evolved over the generations and over the decades um, into, you know, commercial relocation, furniture installation, warehousing, logistics. Um, we um, have recently added on appliance installation, hotel FF&E as well as we do um, deliveries to site for construction. So for the Four Seasons, for instance, what we're doing at this time, because they're not ready for the FF&E or the appliance installation, is we are warehousing their historic elements. So there's items from the Four Seasons that they are going to be getting, you know, certain tax credits for keeping and repurposing in the new development. So we are taking those things and they are stored in our warehouse. And then we also deliver to their construction schedule. So we take delivery of their elevator equipment. And per their construction schedule, we deliver these things to site as they need it. So it's a very um, niche market for construction firms because a lot of times they don't have the space on site. Some of their subcontractors won't be able to house these items. Obviously, I'm sure the elevator people don't have, you know, a 30,000 square foot warehouse to just, you know, store stuff in. So it's a really good market um, for us that we're really getting, you know, we're branching out into currently. Um, and it's a good, you know, support to the construction firms that are doing business here um, locally. And you're a family business, so I think I'm going to know the answer to this question, but when you were a little girl, did you work in the business? Oh, yes. <laughs> this is back before child labor laws were really you know, <laughs> stringent, but um, we used to go out on job sites and my dad would have us like sort screws. And one of the things, um, you know, my sister Courtney really remembers is kind of going out into a job site and him almost like putting her in charge of something, you know, and that just really being very impactful for her as I mean she's branched off and she's doing her own business now and you know as she talks about that experience and how it kind of made her who she was and kind of set that expectation of how she was gonna you know build her own business you know so um, you know those types of things where you know it's it's really beneficial for you know kids at a young age to just be involved because you get you know just a different perspective of, of life in general so and Mike um, you know we talk about the ebbs and flows of business in here, but when things are stable and doing well, sort of like they are now, do people still move offices? Yeah, that's the beauty of, of office space and leasing. You know, every three years or five years or whenever a lease rolls around, they have to do something. They don't have to move, but they have to renew. But so, you know, it's kind of a never-ending cycle. If you have good listings, if you have good clients, you don't sell a building and it's done you represent tenants, you represent landlords, and, and it's the ability to continue to work with those clients, you know, every three years, five years, ten years, and, and have uh, a lot of residual work to do. And it's good. Now, I'll put this out really to both of you. 
do you, how do you market yourselves? Do you just have ESP and know when somebody's thinking about moving or how does it work? Do you wait by the phone or something else? Actually, I was listening to your other podcast about now the AI just knows what you're oh, thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. You can bring him in. So I rely on Allie. Um, we also have very eye-catching trucks. So the pink and black trucks, you know, our boxes are pink. Um, you know, our guys wear pink shirts. You know, so it's very just eye-catching. The marketing, Courtney actually, you know, put that. I remember when she came to me, our boxes were brown. And she said, we should do pink boxes. And I said, oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think our clients are going to like that. And she was like, no, we're doing it. And she forced it. And now it's just, I mean, you go into the office and, it's, you know, you can't miss them. You know, that's what you see. You know, same thing with the trucks. Our trucks are very eye-catching. People think that we have more than we have because they see them everywhere. I constantly get people taking pictures and sending me, you know, oh, hey, I see you. Are you, dri- are you driving the truck? I'm like, no, I'm not driving the truck. <laughs> <laughs> Wave at you. Yeah, oh, Ashley. Like, hey. There's, uh, right. <laughs> and Mike, um, what about yourself? Is there a, I want to say a rumor mill or whatever, Do you, but is there a, um, somewhere where everybody kind of knows where companies are going and what their intentions are? No. No. Okay. I would actually say that we um, we work with you know one of his um, one of his agents and when people call us and we know they haven't called you know her we definitely yeah. like give her the heads up like hey. it, there's a it's a it's a lot of referral business and a lot of uh, direct one on one marketing you got to call on people I mean you can't sit and wait for the for the phone to ring. Um, but unlike residential, you know, there's not a MLS, multi-list system, where everything is on there, all the information, and you, you know what's going on. So you got to get out there. you got to be in the market. you got to network. You get referrals, and you've got to have a lot of market knowledge, and then you go out and chase the business. I mean, it is, I tell everybody, no matter how busy you are, you have to be out there prospecting. And no matter how slow you are, you have to be out there prospecting. So it's going out there to chase business, like most businesses. And Mike, there must be something that's analogous to a pink box for you. That's what you're missing. We need a pink box. We're gonna change. <laughs> we're gonna. When you go down Magazine Street next time, our signs instead of being black and gold are gonna be pink. Oh, that's and we'll great. Be, it was done they'll, here. They'll get us can, more, a marriage. More, more good ideas out of Commanders. This is so great. They, <laughs> even if every single business moved online, all of the goods they sell would still have to be warehoused somewhere, and every robot and person who works on orders and deliveries would still have to work somewhere. So whichever direction the future of business goes, there's always going to be a need for office space and commercial real estate. So Ashley and Mike, you seem to have plenty of job security. I actually um, have said in the past that we're almost recession-proof because whether companies are expanding and getting new space and getting new furniture or, you know, expanding their, you know, customer base or or if they're, you know, compressing and they're needing to, you know, get into a smaller space, either way they need relocation services. So they're going to need us to get them out of that space. They're going to need us to get them in that space to get the new furniture, to get rid of the old furniture. You know, so by that dynamic, we have, you know, we're kind of dynamic and we can move in a lot of directions, you know, which kind of keeps us pretty busy. So I will not worry about you. Yeah, I would say the same thing in a a different manner. I mean, um, residential real estate, you can get a lot of the information off of MLS and you see a lot more uh, direct sales and circumventing brokers, which I don't necessarily think is a good thing, but on the commercial side, it's a lot more about the expertise and the experience and the nuances. So I don't think that commercial real estate is going to go anywhere for a long time. Hopefully, at least not for the next eight or ten years. <laughs> <laughs> so you retire. <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, 
It has been great to get to talk to you. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today and Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. This was great. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Ashley Thibodeau, CEO of Bart's Office, and Mike Siegel, President of Corporate Realty. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. 